So this evening's reading is John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21, and that can be found on page 1076 of your pew Bibles. That's John chapter 10, starting from verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thank you, Lottie, for reading. Do keep that passage open, won't you, from John 10. Let me pray for us. Lord God, our shepherd, help us now to hear your voice. Speak to us, we pray, and lead us. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready for the wolf? Are you ready for him to come tearing down the hillside into your life? After a couple of weeks break, as, as David was saying, we're, we're back in John's gospel. And in John 10, we have Jesus, and he, he's painting word pictures for us. Pictures unfamiliar to, to many of us, I guess, but, but very familiar to those people listening in then. Pictures of sheep and shepherds. But pictures that point to some astonishing truths about who Jesus is. Three weeks ago, Steve took us through verses 1 to 10 of our passage, and we saw, didn't we, a shepherd calling to, leading his sheep. And tonight, we're looking at the second half of that reading. And in verse 12, the picture changes, and the sheep are suddenly in terrible danger as the wolf attacks. And I guess Jesus' first listeners, they they'd have known what that's like when, when a wolf tears through an unsuspecting flock of sheep. They'd have known how quickly blind panic spreads, how, how terrified, how helpless those sheep would be. Just recently, my, my two-year-old daughter, Hannah, she started having nightmares. And so she wakes up frightened and she cries out for mom or dad. Well, well, more mum, actually. Dad often doesn't make the cut. Now she needs her mum at that moment to, to tell her, it's okay, I'm here, you're safe. And all of us here, we're a lot bigger and older than Hannah, aren't we? But I imagine we still have moments when we're afraid Maybe moments that keep us awake at night. Moments, you could say, when we catch sight of the wolf and worry what we'd ever do if it struck. I don't know what you'd be thinking of. Those medical tests coming back with alarming news. <coughs> the breakup of that relationship. The collapse of your career hopes, failing those exams, being made redundant. Or, or maybe it's humiliation at school, online, at work, being, being shown up as a fraud that well, you, you know you are. They're fearful thoughts, aren't they? Where can you turn to to know you're safe when the wolf comes. Well, Jesus warns us where you can't. To the hired hand. Notice him in verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And this hired hand, don't, don't be too hard on him. He's not a bad guy. But it's only a job. They're only sheep. And so when trouble hits, he cuts and runs. And thinking about it this week, this, this hired hand, 
he'd be quite at home in our culture, wouldn't he? Where so many people will commit, but only while it works for them. And if too much is asked in that relationship, that friendship, that marriage, cut and run. And in a culture of hired hands, you're not safe, are you? Because you know they're not up to the job when the wolf comes. But more than that, because you know, don't you, that banking all our hope on anyone, whoever they are, (coughs) is really like trusting a hired hand. Because they're just not up to the job. My Hannah, she needs to learn that, even about her mum. That that she's not the one who can ultimately keep her safe. She just can't. She's not meant to. Some wolves are just too big. Except, Jesus is saying, for the one person who is up to the job. The one person you will be truly safe with when the wolf comes. Verse 11 the good shepherd. The shepherd whose commitment to his sheep, to his people, is totally unlike that of any hired hand. Jesus is saying, do you see? That's the shepherd you need. And that's the shepherd that I am. It's quite a claim, isn't it? Can we believe him? Why ever should we trust him? Well, let's look in this passage at three reasons why we can. And see first, this shepherd's sacrifice. Verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When disaster hits, when when the wolf attacks and anyone else in their right mind runs for their life, this shepherd, he stays But it's more than that, isn't it? This shepherd dies. He lays down his life for the sheep. And I think we can easily miss the shock here. Three weeks ago, Steve was helping us to hear what this Jewish audience, who knew their Old Testaments, would have heard when Jesus talks to them about shepherds. They'd have heard the promise of a long-awaited leader, God's great shepherd king, who'd come to and rule with justice. It's a promise threaded through the whole Old Testament. We we heard it, didn't we, at the beginning of our service in those verses from Isaiah. So when Jesus here starts calling himself the shepherd, well, the people would have known who he was claiming to be. Not just any shepherd, that shepherd. So what Jesus says next, that this shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, well, that would have sounded crazy. Yes, they were expecting a shepherd, but but one who would rule, not, not one who would die. What kind of shepherd is that? But this is so important. It's so central to who Jesus is and what he's come to do that he doesn't want them to miss it. So he says it, did you see, not once, but five times in these verses. In verse 11, and then again in verse 14, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And again, in verse 17, I lay down my life. And twice more in verse 18, I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down. If you want to understand why I've come, Jesus is saying, if you want to understand what it means for me to be the shepherd, you've got to look at my death. And notice, this shepherd, he he doesn't lose his life. He lays it down. I wonder, any idea who, who this is? Any idea? P.C. Keith Palmer. Two years ago, P.C. Keith Palmer was tragically killed in the line of duty defending Parliament against a terrorist attack. And that happens sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes brave men, brave women, they tragically lose their lives. Sometimes, well, sometimes a brave shepherd might be tragically killed trying to save his flock. But, says Jesus, that's not how it will be with me. I've not come to lose my life. No, I've come to lay it down. My life, it won't be, my death, it won't be a tragic mistake. It will be a deliberate sacrifice. When the time's right, I'm going to give myself over to be killed for the sheep in their place. Deliberately die their death for them. Because Jesus knows the real danger his sheep are in. He knows the wolf that's coming to get them. We can be anxious and fearful about, about so many things, can't we? Some of them, if, if you're anything like me, we blow out of all proportion. But some things we fear, well, they are utterly terrible. But you know, Jesus knows that, that even those things, even the terrible things, well, they're not the wolf that we need to fear the most. The wolf that will destroy each and every one of us unless this shepherd stands in our place. And what is that wolf? Our sin. Our hard-hearted refusal to live God's way and our determination to live our way for ourselves. And living that way, living, living the way that every single one of us naturally chooses to live, well, it'll kill you. Jesus has already said it. Back in John chapter 8, John eight twenty one. he said, you will die in your sin. And that's the wolf that's coming for each of us. The awful consequence of a life lived with ourselves in the place of God that will ultimately lead to our deaths and God's just eternal condemnation of us. That's the wolf that, well, that maybe we don't even see coming. But, says Jesus, it's fearful, and we won't escape it unless, well, unless we have a shepherd who will stand in our place, who will deliberately sacrifice himself, die the death we should die, pay the punishment we deserve for our sin so we don't have to. And that, says Jesus, is what God's shepherd has come to do 
That's what he was doing when he died on the cross. No tragic accident, a deliberate sacrifice, doing what no one else could, stepping in front of that wolf for us, saving us from the greatest danger any of us will ever face. And why would he do that? We'll see a second point. Because of this shepherd's extraordinary love for his sheep. Sheep, I don't know if you noticed that in verse 16, not just there and then in first century Israel, but but right here today in Cambridge. Other sheep, people, well, like you and me here tonight, who, who find ourselves hearing his voice, listening to the amazing things Jesus is saying here, and we're maybe beginning to trust them. That is the astonishing reach of this shepherd's love. He's determined to seek you out. Did you hear him? I must bring them also. He's determined. Determined to see you safe with him. Safe, did you see, in a relationship, well, like no other. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. It's a relationship where we're, we're intimately known, which then Jesus takes one mind-blowing step further. Look at verse 15. How are we known? Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. What's going on there? I mean, one moment, fine, we're thinking about sheep and shepherds, and, but then suddenly Jesus is pointing us as, have you noticed, he keeps pointing us in John's gospel to, to something else, to, to his absolutely unique relationship with God the Father, his absolutely unique identity as God the Son, and, and then in some way linking that relationship between them with, well, with, with this relationship with us, his sheep. It's mind-blowing. To see Jesus, just for a moment, lifting the lids on God himself. On what theologians call the Trinity. The God who is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why on earth would Jesus go there? I mean, I don't know what you think about the Trinity, but isn't this just abstruse and, and confusing. That, yeah, the kind of thing that those nerdy theologian types, they, they spend their time musing about. Well, in his excellent book, Delighting in the Trinity, the writer Tim Chester, he, he agrees that it, it can feel like that. Thinking about the Trinity, he says, can feel about as appealing as, well, pondering the load-bearing capacity of steel cable probably wouldn't want to chat about that over coffee, would you? Unless, well, unless you're a particularly nerdy kind of engineer, and if you are, very sorry, come and talk to me at the end, be fine. Um, but then says Tim Chester, just imagine yourself here in a cable car, halfway up a mountain, dangling hundreds of meters above empty space. Suddenly, he writes, the load-bearing capacity of steel cable seems the most important subject in the world. The sort of thing that can save your life. And he continues, it's the same with the Trinity. 
It's not just some arcane doctrine to stretch our minds. It's literally a matter of life and death. And I think that's why Jesus lifts the lid here. Shows us the steel cable of God's love. So we'll know how safe we are with that love holding us. Because it comes straight out of the heart of who God is. This God who for all eternity has been one God in three persons. Bound together in infinite self-giving love. The Father for the Son. The Son for the Father. The Spirit for both. And that, says Jesus, is the love that's overflowing now to you, my sheep, as I lay down my life for you. Do you see how I'm loving you? As I've always been loved by my Father. And maybe that helps us to make sense of that funny verse, verse 17. Did you see it? Jesus says, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. What on earth is he saying? I mean, must, must Jesus, the Son, does he need to earn his Father's love by, by subjecting himself to torture and death on the cross? Is, is that what's going on? No. Think instead, well, think instead of a dad watching his toddler playing. You picture it, and he, he's seeing that that as this boy plays, his little boy is imitating him. The way they do, he's, he's talking, he's acting, just like he's seen his dad doing. Because this little boy, he loves his dad. And he wants to be just like him. And the dad, how does he react? Well, he sees that, doesn't he? And he thinks, that's my boy. And his heart bursts with love in that moment for him. And I wonder if that's what's going on here. Just a little bit of that. And here's Jesus the Son who's known his Father's perfect love from all eternity. And what's he doing now? He's joyfully imitating that love in his own self-giving, sacrificial love for us, his people. And the Father, how's he responds? That's my boy. He delights in his son for loving us just like he does. And I think that's what Jesus is pointing us to here. And when we start to see it, start to see what God is like, what what God's love is like, and see that, well, this is how this shepherd loves his sheep. Then we start to realize we're safe with him. This is a cable that will hold us. And then see finally, this shepherd's astonishing authority. Because if Jesus loved us like that, if he loved us with this infinite self-giving love of God himself, a love that willingly paid the ultimate price to save us from the ultimate danger, our sin, well, that's astonishing news. But it's also tragic news. If this shepherd, well, if he's just a dead shepherd, tragically dead and gone like PC Keith Palmer, who left behind a wife and a five-year-old daughter. If Jesus' death is the end of the story, then 
but we can't really know we're safe, can we? Because this shepherd's no longer around to love us. So see how Jesus finishes here. Verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. And verse 18. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Do you hear what he's saying? I'm not losing my life. I'm laying it down. I'm choosing to die. And then I'll choose to be alive again. I mean, no wonder, look down in verse 20, no wonder so many of his listeners immediately dismiss this as crazy talk, as the words of someone who is clearly demon-possessed and raving mad. Who can make such a claim? To say, once I'm dead, I will simply make myself undead, newly and completely alive again. Isn't that just crazy? Just over 10 years ago, my my younger brother died, had a rare, untreatable medical condition. And I remember going to see him just after he died, and I remember feeling a horrible sense of helplessness. Because that's how we all are, aren't we? When death hits, helpless. Absolutely nothing that we can do. For all our society's medical brilliance, we can't ultimately undo death. In the end, it leaves all of us helpless and hopeless. Only, Jesus says, not me. Because I'm the one with absolute power, absolute authority, authority to lay down my life and authority to take it up again. Just like that. As easily as I can lay down this book and pick it up again. It's no harder for Jesus to die and then return to full and forever life again. And to say that would be crazy, wouldn't it? Unless he actually did it. Unless the Gospel of John ends, if you read on and and find that it does, with, with an empty tomb. With Jesus' closest friends and disciples, seeing, touching, talking again to the man who they had seen dead. And now was clearly alive again. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is the absolute foundation of the Christian faith. If it's not true, if Jesus didn't come back to life, well, then you'd be a fool to be a Christian. Because Jesus was crazy, and and you'd have no reason to trust him. No reason to believe that you'll be safe with him. But if it is true, If he really did give his life and then simply pick it up again. If Jesus really did rise from the dead as eyewitnesses were absolutely convinced that he had. Well then, well you'd be a fool not to be a Christian, wouldn't you? To turn away from trusting someone with that kind of authority, that kind of power, even over death. Who else? could possibly keep you more safe.
Are you ready for the wolf? Ready for it to come tearing down the hillside into your life? Well, not if you dismiss the danger, all this talk of sin and death and judgment. Won't happen to me. And not if you trust yourself to a hired hand, to anyone else that you hope will help you hold your life together when the wolf tears through it. But yes, if you'll trust yourself to this shepherd. Yes, if you'll hear his voice and run to his side. Because if that's where you are, and if tonight that's where you're determined to stay, then you're safe. Eternally, you're safe. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, it is an astonishing thing that you would lay down your life for us. And it is an astonishing thing that you then picked it up again. You rose from the dead. And so, Lord, we know we can trust you. We know that whatever happens, whatever we face, we know that you are a shepherd we can trust. You are our good shepherd. Thank you, Lord. Amen.